Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today's Thursday, March 17th, 2022. Joining me for today's podcast is my dynamic trio. Yes, trio, not two, but three. Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications. Rob Pecorero, who writes frequently for, uh, or actually on tech policy, for Wirecutter, PC Magazine, and USA Today, America's favorite hotel newspaper. Uh, and John Quain, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Times Guide. And we're so happy to have them all today. How are you guys doing? Good, very good. good. Fabulous. Happy St. Well, Patrick's Day. Yeah, yes, yes. Did you do anything, yes. uh, Rob, for St. Patrick's Day? Did you? Uh, is there anything green on your property or uh, uh, on your actually, bathtub? The lawn is looking really good. I'm wearing green right now. Uh, someone here is wearing orange. What are you doing, uh, Stuart? I'm not doing anything. It was just the shirt that was out. <laughs> I I am not Irish. I don't drink, so this holiday means about as much to me as you know as is Christmas, which is nothing. Stuart is still mad because the Yankees signed, well, they didn't sign it, they traded for Josh Donaldson, which is going to be an unbelievable, they're going to have a great team this year. I guess well, I, 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 I'm not so sure about that. Their starting pitching is still a little spotty, and I don't know that Rizzo is a replacement for uh, for Freddie Freeman. Voight. Yeah. Or, or Voight, you know. Yeah. John, how are you? How's the, uh, how's the day going so far? I uh, good. It's a, the Thursdays are my Zoom and uh, video conferencing day. So uh, I already did a presentation to the local Rotary Club. So that's how my day is going. <laughs> the local Rotary Club. I didn't know there were Rotary Clubs around anymore, but I guess they. I guess there are. are. <laughs> they wanted to know well, all about EVs and the infrastructure, and uh, so we did a soups and nuts uh, coverage of the electric vehicle market. Well, Rob, you know, you uh, went down to South by Southwest, um, had probably a lot of great Tex-Mex food while we were there in Austin. But uh, why don't you recap what you thought was um, was topical? So South by Southwest in Austin, Texas is often referred to as marketing spring break for all of the uh, <laughs> promotion, promotional and marketing activity that goes on. But there's also always some interesting conversations about the state of technology there. And so that, those are the panels I focused on attending. I guess I have to start with Mark Zuckerberg's appearance, uh, which I thought was ironic and not in a good way for him. He appeared via video at an event where people were, were celebrating being together for the first time since 2019 to talk about how great it will be when we can meet in VR and AR. Yes, he was resuming his metaverse pitch. Uh, uh -huh. And he was... In some ways, he was more conservative than you'd expect. You know, he said it's it's going to take a little while before we can get VR that is, you know, has photorealistic avatars, not the cartoonish things you have now that is so responsive that he didn't actually say throw up. But, you know, it addresses concerns people have. So he's just to be even longer before we have AR glasses that will superimpose you know, an augmented reality view on top of what we see that will actually look like glasses and not make you look like some uh, freak show escapee from a uh, Silicon Valley research lab. Uh, and he said, Instagram will, no, not have an iPad app, add support for <laughs> importing and minting NFTs soon, which did any of you guys want that? Uh, that's that's not actually on my wish list. <laughs> right. 
you know, you know what's funny about that? I am still not sold that from a mainstream audience standpoint. You know, smartphones are mainstream. Everybody ca- you know carries one. You're you're the you're the odd person out if in today in the world if you don't have a smartphone. I just don't see the usage model yet where someone will be wearing some type of VR glasses. I mean, well, they have glasses one day that are indistinguishable from standard glasses probably one day, but I don't know. I just, I still struggle with, with that, you know, 24 seven usage model where someone's going to have glasses on all the time. You know, and I, and the, the other part of Zuck's talk that was interesting is what he didn't discuss specifically that Mm -hmm. day before Francis Haugen, his his favorite ex Facebook employee, I'm sure, talking uh, <laughs> by Southwest in person. Uh, in a large part, it was sort of recapping things she said before, like what she said at Web Summit that Facebook prioritizes extremist content in giant groups that it can't effectively moderate because it's good for engagement. Uh, she did add that you know Facebook could make itself less prone to misinformation by just making sharing a little adding a little more friction to like for instance twitter nags you to actually read the story you're about to retweet before you share it she suggested that could work uh less helpfully i thought she she critiqued that facebook still struggles to moderate content in non-english languages especially if it's the fourth or fifth language in a country where 10 may be spoken She, she suggested that elon musk might want to make sure Facebook isn't accessible via Starlink in those countries, which he's not going to do that. Plus that's a horrible precedent. I've, I've only been writing about net neutrality for 15 years now. Let's not, let's not start violating it this way. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the irony I thought was just as you guys are doing all that, what's happening. They're putting Zelensky is capitulating on video on meta. I'm not calling it meta. Thanks. It's yep. freaking Facebook. All right. On Facebook. And they just posted on Facebook. I was like, mm, maybe there's something wrong with that video. Maybe we shouldn't have it on there. It's it, they they are just they need to hire more people. They're just doing a terrible job. What can I say? That was yeah, awful. I mean, it, so that was another thing Zuckerberg didn't mention. He started by saying he wanted to talk about how his his thoughts are with the people of Ukraine suffering from this. Never once said the word Russia, which I mean, Russia has essentially declared war on every American tech company, Facebook included, blocking Facebook and Instagram. The you know, up until this, their policy for leaning on U.S. tech companies who didn't do the Kremlin's bidding was to send goons to their offices and threaten them with arrest and detention. Uh, you know, I, I think in this case, you, you cannot pretend to be a neutral actor. You have a country here which only sees you as a tool of their oppression and acting as if Russia's government is just another one. That's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. I mean, Facebook is also it's like it's run by somebody who's 80 years old. I mean, this kid is like 80 because most companies now realize they have a corporate governance and ethical issues that come up and they're right on it. These, you know, the old companies and manufacturers are very careful about that kind of stuff. Mark Zuckerberg, Russia, what war? Is there something going on? I mean, he just (laughs) is clueless. And I think he's shown that the company just doesn't care about what it might be perceived as as far as that's concerned. So probably need new leadership. Yeah. Rob, what was the reaction of the audience since it was a an in-person event? I mean, uh, I mean, did he get a, a rousing round of applause? I was unable to watch Zuckerberg in person myself because I that this 
I guess some people were worried that it would be depressed attendance. I didn't see that. Austin looked as crowded as ever, and there was just no chance of getting into this particular hall at the convention center. Uh, there were a couple other ones. Most of the panels I wanted to, I could get into. There was one about NFTs, in fact, in the Hilton across the street from the convention center that I also could not get into. And <laughs> while they do have video on demand of the, the big featured keynotes, they don't for a lot of the other stuff. So in, in that sense, this South by was exactly like the other ones I went to from 2012 to 2019, and that you go home and you realize what you missed and you will not be able to catch up on because there's no video of it anywhere. Right. Stuart, any thoughts on, uh, on the, well, uh, just on the, on the metaverse side, there was a piece no. on the daily show last night about this woman who went into the metaverse for her first time on, on, on Facebook and was immediately harassed by two uh, bros, including, you know, uh, virtual physical intimidation. And I'm just afraid that without the proper controls that all the, the ill behavior that it, that is already exhibited on social media is just going to explode in even a larger way in the metaverse and is going to be just the home it's just going to be a place where trolls end up it, unless they build in some essential safety features get rid of anonymity because i think anonymity is the hugest problem online that people can just get away with this nonsense with without fear of repercussions and i don't see with Zuckerberg's total uh, disregard for human emotion, whether or not that's even part of the equation. Right. Yeah. Well, the, no, I agree. Yeah, I, I just, I something. So 20 years ago, 20 years ago for popular science magazine, I wore one of those VR glasses and I had a, a hip computer and I wore it all over Manhattan. I spent the whole day walking around with the AR stuff in my eyes and what reaction of people in the stores and stuff. And it didn't work then and it doesn't work very much better now. I, I, mean, I bet John you I bet John you got a lot of dates. It's still it's still online on popular science still has it online from 20 years ago. It's like Quain tries the gear or something. It was an odd experience. I, I was going to bring that one of my novels. It's not like Mozart and Mirror Shades, but it's one of those cyberpunk books. And I think, you know, Mark must have spent his vacation reading these books again. He's like, I know, we'll call it meta. You know, it's just... <laughs> anyway, that's... Uh, <laughs> that's well, I, let, let's, let's flip on to the next topic here. Uh, as soon as that comes up here. Uh, Stuart, you and, I, you, were, you and I were exchanging emails about this earlier. There's a lot of consolidation going on in the streaming services area, particularly with the smaller guys and the big guys. Uh, HBO Max and Discovery is obviously one of the latest ones. But let, let me uh, have you kind of start up and tee up on that topic. Well, just, just as a matter of historical course, this is what ends up happening when you have a lot of new entries into a new marketplace. The market gets flooded, and then there's a huge bubble, and then everybody tries to you know, retreat to corners and to consolidate because the market simply cannot support uh, so many vendors. And this market has the additional problem is that you still have legacy cable uh, operators as well. So mm -hmm. now you've got consumers that used to be even just a year ago that people in the industry thought that people would sign up for maybe three or four 
over-the-top services in addition to their cable. And now we're up to six or seven. And I think a lot, I think they're getting a lot of the streaming services are getting a lot of backlash from consumers and from cable companies. Because obviously what happens if you get rid of the bundle on a cable network, they charge you through the wazoo to just keep your internet. So there's that problem. And then it actually increases all your costs. So I think the industry is still trying to figure out a way to have this over-the-top services to a certain extent, perhaps mimic what goes on in cable as you buy these bundles rather than, than shelling out individually. And I think we're still in a state of flux within the over-the-top or streaming industry as all of these players are trying to find their place, realizing how much money they're going to have to spend on content just to remain even somewhat competitive, how to solve their churn rates. I think there are just so many issues that are just going to be unsolvable with so with one or two gigantic players and everybody else fighting for a seat at the table. So I think a certain amount of consolidation just based on the history of media is, is going to have to take place. And this is just, the, I think the, the tip of this particular iceberg. So my question for Rob is because, so you, you, you mentioned the magic word, which is the bane of all streaming services and that is churn rate, you know, and, and, you know, some services have very high churn rate, especially the services that charge on a month to month basis where you can cancel and we get back on. And there are a lot of people do that because they, they'll return to a channel when there's something compelling, whether it's a movie or some type of live event that they may want to see. But um, Rob, do you, do you think this consolidation is going to ultimately hurt consumers rather than help consumers? I mean, that's a broad question, but uh, I think it is a net as long as you have reliable residential broadband. Because, I mean, look at with pay TV right now, most cable operators, you have the advertised rates, which A, don't include the box rental, B, don't include the broadcast fee, C, don't include the regional sports network fee, D, maybe double or even in some cases triple after year two or three. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a good presentation, it's not very customer friendly. Uh, traits the customer is saying to be milked and streaming services at least there's no hardware cost the fee is the fee you can come and go as you please and the smarter ones sort of recognize that i know netflix has said more than once you know we see or maybe with sling tv a customer leaving is a chance for a customer to come back and mm -hmm. for that matter cable companies you know some of them have actually this is not cable but telecom companies ATT and Verizon, if you go to their sites, you start shopping for service, the price for broadband is the same whether you get their video service or not. And Verizon doesn't even try to sell you their own. They, they show you YouTube TV and Sling TV on the same screen as Fios TV. And, you know, YouTube TV is certainly a better deal if you want a full set of channels, except for maybe some regional sports networks. Uh, and so these cable companies that keep on screwing people who want to get just broadband even though their video subscribers keep dropping and dropping. I think uh, Charter, I listened to their earnings call, or no, it was, it was an executive of this Morgan Stanley conference. They're down to like, the video total is saying like 50% of the broadband total. Why would you keep acting like you're a video first company? You're not. You know, go to where the market's going. Don't try to handcuff your customers to the business model of 1998. Yeah. Now, now, on that note, and this is my question for John, a couple of days ago, Netflix announced that it was going to, um, you know, it's it, like many um, streaming companies are noticing that people have multiple logons and the uh, you can you can um, essentially 
I'm not saying that I do that, but there are a lot of people who sign up and their mother may end up as one of the, the in-house users. And they, they really haven't been policing it very much, but it looks like for Netflix now has a low cost fee that if you want to be able to do that, you can add another person that may not be part of your family because that's what the rules outline. But uh, John, do you think Netstream and uh, Netstream, uh, Netflix and others are, are, are getting nervous about uh, the fact that the growth rates may not be what they're, they want them to be, that they've enjoyed over the last few years, and they're doing things to kind of capture that revenue that they perceive as revenue they should be capturing? I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, they're certainly worried about the money. I mean, uh, there are a couple of issues with the Netflix thing. It's not technically workable. So you can't technically do what they want to do, right? I have it on my, I have, uh, you know, machines. I've got three devices in in this room that have Netflix on them, independent devices. Another one in the other room that has Netflix on it. And then I've got my second home which is perfectly viable for them. And I've got Netflix on those. There's no way Netflix can say which house has which, and is that JQ's house? That's just not a viable thing. So that's something that's going to fly. Um, but you know, what it really comes down to is really something that um, all these people have virtually no experience in. I mean, Amazon just bought one of these companies because they don't know what they're doing. And that is content. It's all about the movies and the shows. And they're just, a, there aren't that many good people to write these shows. There aren't that many good people to actually direct these shows and they need to produce and they're expensive. I mean, if I see another Netflix show open with a drone shot over a forest, over a car again, <laughs> oh my goodness, right? And what do they pay those people? You know, $400,000 or something. I can do that. So they, they really, that's the big problem. They're chasing content now and there really isn't that much good stuff out there let's be honest um one of the reasons we you know sign up for apple tv and then cancel it is because they only have like one or two good shows right and that's right. all they have so i think it's the content thing and they're the consolidation of that i mean amazon just closed the mgm deal today or yesterday mm -hmm. it actually officially yeah, closed. Yeah, that's for real yeah so you're i think that's what you're going to see them chasing and it, it is expensive i mean it's not you can get the back catalog, but you still need to produce new shows. I think that's the right. critical thing now. Well, I'll, I'll, I want uh, Stuart to comment on to my last observation in that uh, I think the word, the magic word you um, mentioned, uh, John, is content. And it seems that we have so much, you know, we, we went from one extreme, and I'm really going to date myself, in the late 1940s, early 1950s, when television introduced, you had right. two or three channels, the content was limited, it was a new experimental medium. And now you flash forward 60 years and we've got literally, you know, scores and hundreds of streaming channels, even of the uh, even the top echelon production houses. And the content doesn't seem to be that great. I mean, there are exceptions, of course, and there are some programs that are, you know, bingeable and watchable, but you can probably count them on a couple of hands. So I, I think the no matter what the technology is, Stuart, it all boils down to is there good writing? Is there good acting? Is there good? creative talent to bring it together. And I don't, I don't think we're awash in, you know, tremendous amount of great talent that, you know, that forces people that, Hey, I want to sign up for that channel because it has, you know, sustainable, great content. 
Well, I think that's that's the key point is the sustainable part. I there there are at least a half a dozen series that I want to binge. I just haven't had the time. My wife and I yeah. right now, for instance, are embroiled in the Last Kingdom, which we've been big fans of since it first hit the airways. I, I haven't got to Dope Sick yet. I haven't got to Made yet. Um, I haven't gotten to the, the current season of of Killing Eva. Please, please don't, please don't say Euphoria. If you say Euphoria, I'm taking you off. The point that I'm making is that the, it's the sustainability <laughs> issue, and I, I think it's also a business model issue because at a certain point, the number of viewers is finite. And all of those viewers are going to be needing to be entertained. And so the question is, at a certain point, Netflix at the beginning was signing up subscribers left and right and not needing to spend a lot of money on content because they were the only game in town. But now, in order to maintain competitive, their their sign-up rate is slowing, but the amount of content that they have to produce is increasing. So the business models are going to have to somehow change. The, the other point that I'm thinking of, you were talking about the transition from radio to television again in media what ends what new media what ends up happening is that old formats get poured into new medium until the new medium could figure out what the new medium can really do at the beginning of television basically most television was filmed radio or vaudeville until it figured until uh, lucille ball figured out that he used three cameras and it changed the medium and I think what will happen with uh, the streaming services that they're going to figure out this whole idea of streaming, of binge-watching, of long-form storytelling, or whatever else the medium is really good at doing it and create content that is more specific to the medium as opposed to porting old TV shows or movies to it. Well, thank God you, you didn't mention Euphoria in the list. That's all I can say. <laughs> you mentioned it. Uh, no, I, well, I, I can't figure that show out. I gave it about an hour, and I said, you know what? They, this isn't for me. But anyway. You have to be in high school. You're the wrong demographic. <laughs> we are all yeah. too old. <laughs> You're probably right. Thank you for that observation, John. I am not in high school. <laughs> Let us hit the next uh, slide here, and this is a, a, a great one. John, this is right in your wheelhouse, but obviously yeah. gas is out of control. Out here out in California, I think I paid uh, six thirty for a gallon of gas. I had to get a mortgage from Wells Fargo. To fill right. up my um, fill up my cart, and uh, here's the thing. And I really, I, I, this is a topic that always frustrates me because, you know, people tend to focus on Tesla as kind of the po po uh, poster child for, hey, I want to buy an electric car. Let, let, that should be your default model. I have friends right. who, you know, Tesla's are very popular in California. While I do believe that now we're coming to that inflection point where electric cars look more attractive. And I want you to give me your opinion on this because you know the landscape very, very well. Isn't it true, though, you still have to spend, regardless of the brand, 60000 60 to $70,000 for a car, regardless of the brand, with the right battery to get? You know, I'm not, not, not looking for a battery that goes only 80 miles or 100 miles. I mean, most people really want to have a battery that's at least in the 250 to 300 range, which is right. typically at the higher end. So talk to me about how those two things converge with each other. Well, the the reason I just I was just in California. I got back late last night, and boy, are my arms tired. No, the uh, the Palms. <laughs> I was in Palm Springs, and I was in Palm Springs to uh, test drive the Volvo C40, which is mm -hmm. their first pure electric. They've had electric versions of other models, but this car is just electric, all wheel drive, all the time, luxury vehicle. Uh, 
it's about $60,000. So it's 59.5. That's fully loaded. Everything, all the options, everything you think of in it. Um, and, and so, you know, it's a, it's a great car. I love driving it there. Um, What's the, range, Tom? What's the range? The range is not great on that. That's about 220, and that's low. Most vehicles now are in the 250 range to 300. Um, right. And uh, I think we might, you know, you might have, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but you, these might be the last days of Tesla's at its peak, you know, because mm -hmm. the, the Model 3 just went to like $70,000. Now, the Model 3 is like, it's like a VW bug and it has the dashboard in the wrong place. And it's got a lot of problems and quality control issues for 70 grand. That's a lot. I think you're going to see much more of the Hyundai Ionic five, which is about $35,000 and has a 300 mile range and has all the technology you could want plus more in it. Um, car everybody loved and that's why they love it. Um, it comes a different version. So you're going to see, Subaru next year, you're going to see the F-150, Ford F-150, one of the most popular vehicles in the United States is coming out all electric this summer. Um, no cyber truck, you know, from Tesla. Um, so <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's coming, it's happening. The vehicles are rolling out now. Uh, most of our tests for in the automotive community now for reviewers are, are, are EVs, like more than half of them are EVs. Um, so it, it's going to happen. Um, I know in California, the gas prices are crazy, but your electric prices are pretty high too. I right, imagine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, yeah, I, so, I, I guess. One of the, yeah. God, go ahead, John. Go ahead. Finish oh, so just, you know, in the Northeast, if you're not in a major city, I probably to fill up a tank with in gas was $80 to charge the car from 10 to full 100% was about $28. Right. So that gives you the difference right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and the other thing too is, is that California, you, I, I can drive with confidence from San Jose, San Francisco down to um, Los Angeles. And there are multiple places with superchargers that you can charge your car on the East coast, but you're all East coast guys. Do you feel comfortable, John driving down to let's say Washington or even down to Florida? And Oh yeah. I mean, if you're on the, yeah. if you're on the interstate, you know, if you're driving down the interstate the whole way, yeah, you could do that. And the cars will plan for you. You know, most of the OEMs have figured that out. So when you plot your route, it's going to say, oh, you should need to stop here. You need to stop here. Um, I don't like stopping. <laughs> so that's my problem. Um, you know, I would prefer to keep driving, especially, you know, coming out of New York with all the traffic. Once you get on a free open road, it's like, I just want to get there. So They've got a ways to go. Um, the Lucid Motors vehicle is a really interesting play, too, because that's over 400 miles of range. It is the longest distance car on the market, uh, beating out any Tesla. Doesn't matter what router you get from Tesla, Lucid beats it. From a former Tesla person that started the company. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see next year what the range is for a lot of these vehicles. Um, everybody's aiming towards getting them farther and farther. So um, I, I sort of go by the tank of gas and I can go, oh, more than 450 miles, a tank of gas, something like that. So when you get your battery up to that level, I think then we'll be off to the races. Uh, Robert, Rob, what about you? And are you an electric car guy, or do you have one? Not, you, not you? yet. We have 
in the driveway that way is a still looking good 2005 Toyota Prius, which still gets around 40 miles to the gallon more if I really baby it. So, you know, I, I am I'm not using that much gas. You're welcome, everybody. Uh, plus, I mean, I live in a walkable neighborhood. So I haven't driven this car actually not since uh, before I left, headed out for Austin. Uh, the, the car that replaces it, I don't know what it will be. I know it will be battery electric. And I just hope that this fabulously reliable Toyota lasts a little bit longer because every year I can hold on to this well-maintained machine. <laughs> My selection is going to get better. The reliability will increase. The range will increase because uh, yes. people like JQ are happy to do the beta testing for me. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and I'm looking forward to, you know, not having to care about the price of gas at all, uh, having much simpler and cheaper maintenance. And um, yeah, you know, we will, of course, this is an old house. So we're probably going to have to pay an electrician a lot of money to put the appropriate charger on the side of the house. That's fine. You know, there's enough other work we have to do on this place too. Uh, and it's, it's sort of obvious that's where it's going. And I'm not super worried about the range given that, yeah, I've, I've gone from here to Boston enough times. There's plenty of electric chargers. There were like three years ago and there's even more now. So there are certain use cases. Like I think if, you know, if we were to go uh, ski trip to West Virginia, it's about a three, four hour drive, depending on where you're going. I don't know what the number of chargers uh, that are out there right now, but given that Joe Manchin represents the state, I'm sure the Biden administration will put as many chargers along the roads as he wants. Or none, probably. Right. <laughs> and that's going to be a running coal power plants, too. So, you know, it's a real actually well, West Virginia has quite a lot of wind turbines along the ridge lines, too. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the, the, to do your home charger is probably. You just need a 240 line, so it's probably yeah. uh, $200 for the, you know, and then the box may be free because a lot of states, the utilities, are giving Sounds you good. the charger yeah. for free. So, or yeah, rebate, you buy it. Years old, so I'm allowing for surprises. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's surprisingly easy. Surprisingly easy. Uh, well, let me have Stuart close us out on this topic because, uh, Stuart, you're the, you know, John lives in New York too, of course, but uh, John, um, Stuart, you know, you're, you're my quintessential New Yorker. The only thing more expensive in New York is renting, actually, well, it used to be, I don't know whether they brought the rates down, but I used to remember parking in Midtown was like oh. $70, uh, $70 yeah. for two hours, especially when you went to see a Broadway show and the parking was more expensive than lunch. That may have changed now. But well, the, one of my one of my favorite old New Yorker cartoons was the uh, a, a picture of a of, of a guy standing in an open parking space and yelling to his wife, going, "Quick, I found a space. Go buy a car." <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that cartoon. I, as a New Yorker, I have not owned a car in almost forty years. So I'm going to preface all my comments with that comment. I was the happiest person on the planet to get rid of my old Datsun when I moved into Manhattan. Um, the, my, my first reaction to this topic was this sort of reminded me of let them eat cake. I mean, electric cars, as we have seen, are still much more expensive than than gasoline powered cars. The, the people most affected by the impacted by the high gas rates are the people least likely to be able to afford a new electric car. And there simply isn't a used market for them to really go to yet. 
The second thing is what John was talking about with, you know, planning the route and seeing what's charges rolling around. Infrastructure, I think, is a huge piece of this. And even if it's just the perception that there aren't enough chargers along the way. And in Manhattan, I don't know where you're going to park your car to plug it in. I mean, most yeah. of us live in apartment buildings where you now you actually have to rent out in a space in a parking garage that has enough electric charger spaces. So I think infrastructure, not only in New York, but around the country is a huge deal. And I think the oil companies, I don't know if they're missing a big bet, but it would really behoove them to start equipping their O&O stations with charging stations as well to keep those customers coming into those stations, to keep those gas station franchisee owners happy in times of high, um, high gas prices or low margin, low gas prices. But, and the government to, to step in, I think Biden has already talked about expanding the amount of chargers nationwide. So I think there's a combination of different things that have to happen in order for the country to, to really start tipping towards the electric car. I think this whole situation could be a tipping point to really push that process a little further. But I think right. the cost of the cars have to come down. There has to be a viable used car market for people who can't afford to buy a new car. And I mm -hmm. think there has to be at least the perception of plenty of places to plug in your car to get, get it charged. It's interesting is that where I think electric cars are now for many, many people, they're great second cars. You know, especially from a distance stand standpoint, there are still people who have range anxiety where they just feel the, 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 the they don't have the comfort level, the confidence level that if I'm going from point A to point B and it's 350 miles, I don't know where I'm going to stop for 45 minutes to charge your car. That's really not, it, it's probably more emotional than anything else, honestly, since I have friends who, uh, who have those cars and that, 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 has, that has presented to be a major problem. But I think the cost issue is a big one because I think the average folks, who, you know, again, a $30,000 car, a $20,000 car is a very expensive purchase. Right. And any electric car currently that's even close to that has very, very limited batting, battery range. I'm thinking of Nissan. Nissan has a car, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it's Nissan a Chevy Golf. A Leaf. You know, and that's, and that's, and by the way, that might be a great second car, but I'm not sure the technology right now is there, at least for most people, to have their only car being, um, being electric here. But anyway, guys, listen, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Vita Tech Guy. If you haven't already, please make a donation to the Red Cross or your preferred charitable organization to help the brave people of Ukraine in their time of need. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks, guys. Take Thank care. You.